Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, tonight, just uh, for a few minutes, I want to look at uh, Luke chapter 2, Christmas story there. Just two verses uh, for this Christmas Eve. Let me, let's read them together. Let me... uh, See if we can get them up. There they are, Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. These are very famous verses this time of year. Everyone knows them, and uh, you see them everywhere. And rightly so, because... Who doesn't want peace, externally or internally? Uh, Who doesn't want an end to conflict and strife, relationally, nationally, politically, personally? And and who doesn't want inner calm? Who doesn't want to be uh, anxious-free and worry-free? If you're familiar with the Bible app, which a um, number of people, billions of chapters of the Bible are read every year. They keep track of all of that. The most famous verse this year. This year, most famous verse uh, was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so uh, 2017 and 18 were the same, different verses, but the same theme of not being afraid and not being worried. Um, I, was, I was sent on an errand to buy some gift cards. Uh, and this, I found this one. Uh, it's uh, Jiffy Lube. Give the gift of peace of mind. And then look at that. Leave worry behind. Even Jiffy Lube. The Jiffy Lube thinks that an oil change will solve all your problems. <laughs> it will solve some. Okay, let's not throw them completely under the bus. But my point is, is this concept is, is everywhere. Uh, and you may be surprised to know that this verse um, has nothing to do, the peace of Christmas that we're talking about, has nothing to do with external or internal peace. This is the culmination of a verse. This is the culmination of an Old Testament uh, promise. What the prophets repeatedly preached and offered was peace. It's what Israel longed for the most. But they were chastised in Isaiah 59 for not knowing the way of peace. And I think that chastisement could be upon us. Do you know the way of peace? This peace is not horizontal. It's not an end to conflict externally and it's not an in, an end to ex or internal angst even though we feel those acutely and long for them deeply no this is a different kind of peace there's a different kind of conflict it's one that's hard to see in the sentimentality of the christmas season so what is it well it's really it's peace with god it's not peace You know, in your family, it's not peace with other people relationally. 
Uh, and it's not in you. It's not between humans and it's not in humans, this peace. It's between God and us. Right before Jesus, uh, right before Mary was told about Jesus being born, Zechariah was told that he would give birth to a son, John the Baptist, and John the Baptist would be the forerunner to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, you, just a chapter before this, you get a little window into what that piece is about. When Zechariah is told, let's look at it, he's told about the child that's coming and that John the Baptist will, um, John the Baptist will say this about that child. Let's look at it, Luke 1. Can you get that up there? He says, to give people the knowledge of salvation, John the Baptist will say of him, by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God and to guide our feet in the way of peace. It's almost as if peace in chapter 2 is put for salvation. There's a certain kind of peace you, you get when you come to know God. It's salvation and forgiveness are kind of at the center of it. And you can't be guided into peace until that forgiveness comes along. Uh, there's no way toward any other kind of peace. You look at the carol. If you look at the Christmas carol, hark the herald angels sing the first verse, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's the kind of peace that's being told, talked about in Luke 1. And the question becomes, how do you get that? How do you get that peace? How does it happen? How does God and man make up after this sort of cosmic conflict that has created universal and, and, and horrific disruption, how do they make up? How do they come together? How do they reconnect and become friends? That's what the word reconciliation means. And sinners are reconciled to God. It's like two enemies coming together to make peace. This is a really important word, even though it's kind of a big word. Don't let it throw you. But it's important to know that the language of reconciliation, um, it's, not, it's rarely used in other religions uh, because the relationship between human beings and the deities was not, was not seen in a personal way. They didn't have personal categories for how you related to God. In fact, if, if, it, if there was the concept of reconciliation, the onus was always on us was always on humans to figure out how to get to God, to figure out how to appease the gods. That's what it was about. And this is different, and that's what makes Christianity unique, is that the conflict between God and man is very definitely personal, and it's very definitely relational, and human beings cannot do anything about it. And that's what Luke 2 is about. I wanted to show you a couple of quick things about this text in Luke 2 that we're all very familiar with, uh, but let's look at them. First, I want you to notice the word uh, suddenly here, right there. Right off the bat, the word suddenly. Any time it's used, especially in the Gospels here, um, it's, it, it means that the, a divine act is about to happen uh, that humans have no part in. This is about a supernatural act on the part of God. He's about to do something. That's what Luke 2 and 13 are about. God's about to do something. It's a supernatural intervention to solve a problem we cannot solve. And the second thing I want you to notice is this multitude, this angelic host. It's massive, and that word multitude is very often used in a military context. It's, it's spoken of as a military unit. 
And so what you get is a little bit of this sort of this supernatural divine act that's about to occur, and it has a sort of a militant, military kind of flavor to it, although a different kind of uh, war. So this large angelic host acting sort of uh, warlike on the part, on, on behalf of God for human beings. And what you learn is they're coming to end a war. Their announcement is to end a war. Sinners are at war with God. That's what you've got to hear in this text. Uh, If you're not submissive, if you're not obedient, if you're not aligned with him, if he's not at the center of your life, then you're at war with him. Uh, You know, Romans 8, 7 says the natural posture of human beings, their natural mindset and heart is hostility toward God. It's hostility toward God. So this defiantly opposed to life, defiantly opposed to his lordship over us, and we're ruined by it. We're utterly ruined by it. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Revelation chapter 12, but it is an incredible text, and it gets you a little bit behind the scenes of Christmas. Uh, It's a futuristic, apocalyptic vision of the conflict that's going to sort of escalate in the future. Uh, and what's interesting about it, well, let me read it to you. Here's what it says. Just, just, just hear this. So a great sign appears in heaven, and a woman is clothed with the sun, the moon, at her, with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head she wore 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, she might devour the child. Have you ever seen that on a Christmas card? It'd be a great gift to some people in the family. Now listen, that's the scene behind the scenes of Christmas. Uh, And here's what's going on. The future conflict, just get this. The future conflict, all right, that escalates to this incredible thing, is recast in the story of Christmas, giving you sort of a panoramic scene that from the time Jesus arrives at Christmas until the very end, there is a massive conflict happening. And the central figure is this child who is the key to salvation, redemption, and reconciliation. Jesus Christ, who's come into the world to reunite God and man, and Satan does not want it to happen. He tried to devour the child because he knew what Jesus was accomplishing when he came. There's a war. Christmas is God declaring war putting himself in harm's way on behalf of mankind. This is, this is a far more uh, raging text than it, than it first appears. Now, I want to show you one more element about the two verses before I kind of apply it to you. It's this thing right here. There's this literary wordplay that happens in the text that creates the scene and the problem. It has God sort of in the highest. The highest is the heavens. Glory to God in the highest, in the heavens. 
all right? And then you have on earth men and peace. And the question becomes, how in the world are they gonna reconcile? There's a massive gap between them. Where the glory of God is and where the peace of man is, they're, they're, they're far apart. The highest and the earth and then God and man, that's the problem in the text. And the distance and the gap sort of demonstrate not only the hostility, but the incapability of man to solve it. So Jesus comes to end this war to close the gap, to bring together and to reconcile us in God. This is the peace. Now it's a real concrete kind of peace. It's an earthy peace. And you can't have any other kind of peace until you get this peace and you have to receive this peace on earth. It's gotta come to you from above and you gotta get it here. So in that sense, it's earthy. And until you're reconciled to God, until you're relationally right with him, you can't know any other kind of peace. Now here's the key to this. You have to realize that your heart is at war with God. Not everybody realizes that. That your heart is at war with God if he's not the center of your life. Um... That your sin is defiance. And in the sentimentality and tranquility of a verse like this and in Christmas, it's easy to miss that our rage against God caused by our sin has created a gap and we can't close it. And the only way to end it is to have Christmas peace. Now listen, um, I just finished reading uh, an interesting book this week, in fact. Um, it's called Rage Against God, The Rage Against God by Peter Hitchens, uh, subtitled How Atheism Led Me to Faith. He and his brother Christopher Hitchens, if you're familiar with the modern atheists, and many of them are out there, Christopher Hitchens was w- among the prominent voices of modern atheism. And he died in 2011, but he, he left um, an, an important mark uh, on behalf of atheism. Well, he had a brother, uh, Peter, and they grew up together in England uh, in the 60s at the time when England was really, was really rapidly moving away from God uh, socially, culturally, and politically especially. And these two guys, very brilliant from early on, uh, uh, grow up hating God. And they admit their hate. And one of the things I love about the book is just the honesty of their rage um, against God. Um, when he was 15 years old, Peter, the one who wrote this book, uh, denounced God and burned his Bible and just went on a journey of proving that God did not exist. And his atheism led him to socialism and then political involvement that just was, um, he, he describes it, uh, that journey incredibly well. But something happens in his 30s that doesn't happen in his brother. In his 30s, he, uh, he realizes, he comes to a point in his life where he realizes that the rage he has inside him is a rage toward God. And um, that it's really just a stubbornness and a sinfulness and a defiance against him. And, he begin, and it begins to make him afraid. And he says, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be afraid to say that I was afraid when I realized it where all this hatred 
was coming from. And so at the time, his faith in secularism was really waning. He found it empty and false. One of the things that he really loved was art and architecture. And it made him visit churches just to see. Because, I mean, of course, they had these incredible buildings. Well, long story. I won't get into it. The key, the beginning of his journey toward God out of that hatred he writes this, at about the same time, you know, when his faith in that was waning and this fear came upon him, he says, I rediscovered Christmas, which I had pretended to dislike for many years. I slipped into a carol service on a winter evening, diffident and anxious not to be seen. I knew perfectly well that I was enjoying it, though I was unwilling to admit it. And I just love his honesty. Here he is fighting against this rage and he realized that he needed something to build his life on because there was nothing else there and he's singing these carols and he started to realize it you know it's it's easier to be humble you know when you're angry if you know God's been humble you got a humble God waiting for you to be humble you got a God willing to come here and become a man Makes it a little easier. Just takes the edge off a little bit of that rage inside us. And that's what happened to him. And it began his journey toward God. This is a war. It's a conflict in and for your heart and soul. That Jesus has fought and won. What's going on inside of you is a spiritual conflict. Now I'll close with this. Uh to describe this spiritual conflict, uh, C.S. Lewis has a book called Screwtape Letters. Screwtape is a, a senior demon. Uh, he's a, he has a nephew by the name of Wormwood who he corresponds with in sort of a, an apprentice uh, relationship. Wormwood wants to learn how to be a good demon, how to ruin human lives. And Screwtape is his mentor, and the whole book is their correspondence to one another. And it's an incredible book. Well, just recently, uh, we just discovered, I don't know who did, we're still working on that right now, but it appears that a lost letter from Screwtape to Wormwood has been found. This is true. Um, And he writes to his nephew, Wormwood, to give him some more diabolical tricks to ruin human lives. And Wormwood is writing because he's afraid that he's going to lose the human that he's working on right now to keep from God. They called him patience. My patient, he says, we're coming into the Christmas season. How do I keep him from seeing what he ought to see or what I don't want him to see at Christmas? And so, of course, Screwtape says this. Uh, You must not let him grasp the meaning of Christmas. Keep him three things, distracted, exhausted, and sentimental. I know you're at least two of those. So he will miss, what Screwtape says, is the seriousness and the significance of what Christ has done on his behalf. And then he closes the letter with, and I sincerely hope for your sake, Wormwood, especially, that this does not happen. There is a spiritual conflict, and the enemy's doing everything he can to keep you from even realizing there's a war going on. 
And if you don't realize there's a war going on, you cannot have the peace of Christmas. And you cannot have any other kind of peace until you have that settled. Until the ultimate and the biggest war in life is is fought and won, actually you surrender to win, then you, listen, we're all experiencing all kinds of constant battles that shatter peace and tranquility. Those battles aren't going to stop. You're going to keep having them. You're going to have them next year, even though you hope next year may be better than this one. But you, you, can, you can deal with those if you get the big piece. If you get the big piece, you can handle the little skirmishes if you know the ultimate war has been won on your behalf. So maybe it's possible tonight you feel that war. You feel it. And you're here and you don't know how. You don't know why. You don't know all of the, All you know is all you have to do is admit the rage and surrender. You find forgiveness and you discover Christmas peace. It's a real concrete relationship with God that nothing in the world can touch. It's not subjective. It's an objective peace. It's earthy and you get it here. And it's the peace that leads to all other kinds of peace. Don't let anything stop you from getting that peace. The war will wear you out and it will wound you deeply. What you will need is a savior. You will need a friend to heal and save you. That's Christmas. Peace.